John chapter 10, verse number 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Father, Lord, we're thankful for this passage of Scripture. And, Lord, there's just so much here. I pray today as we try to narrow down our focus and think about just one particular aspect of this tremendous text that you'll speak to us and help us. I pray, Lord, you'd fill me with your spirit, help my mind to be clear and my focus to be right. And help us, Lord, or help me today, Lord, to just uh, say what I ought to and nothing else. And... Uh, just, just, just enable me, I pray, and help us all, Lord, to be filled with your spirit that we might hear and uh, that we might respond, that we might follow. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage is a, is a really wonderful summation of what it means to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
or put another way, what it means to be a Christian. There are all kinds of terms that are used in Scripture to describe a Christian. Words like saved or born again or converted. Words like believer or follower or a disciple or child of God. All kinds of words. In this passage, is an interesting word used, and it's the word sheep. Those who are believers are sheep. Christ's sheep. He is the shepherd. And those who are his are his sheep. So this passage gives us some insight into what it means to be sheep in the good shepherd's flock, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be his. And I want to narrow our focus. We read a lot of verses there to to get the whole flavor of the thing, but I want to narrow our focus down to verse number 27 because I believe we can't see it any more clearly than we see it there in verse number 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Thirteen words. A simple 13-word explanation of the faith. Now, we've been looking over the last few weeks at some, at some words. We looked at the word kindness, and we looked at the word forgiveness, and we looked at the word joy. I think those were the only three that we've looked at so far. And today, I want us to think about another word, and that's the word follow. This verse actually contains three words we could talk about. We're going to look at the first two verses just briefly. But the one I want us to concentrate on today is the last part of that verse. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But let's start at the beginning. My sheep, hear my voice. Hear my voice. That word appeared several times. If you were following along as we read this passage, he mentioned it repeatedly, that those who are his hear him. For example, verse number three, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse number four, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse number 16, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. If you are one of his sheep, it is because somewhere along the line you heard his voice. Somewhere along the line you heard the gospel. It maybe was in a sermon like this one that you heard the gospel preached. Maybe it was in a conversation you had with another believer who shared with you what Jesus Christ had done in their life. Maybe you heard his voice in the pages of Scripture when one day you just happened to open it up. Maybe you were staying in a hotel and you opened up the drawer and there was a Gideon Bible and you opened it up and you started to read and you heard his voice. Maybe somebody handed you a pamphlet, had the gospel in it, and you read it and you heard it. Maybe it was in the words of a gospel song such as some that we heard sung here this morning. Regardless of how you heard it, if you were one of his this morning, you heard it. You had to have heard it. You had to have heard the gospel. And this is not the only scripture that indicates that hearing is prerequisite to believing. Hearing is prerequisite to being saved. Paul made it very clear in his letter to the Romans. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It really can't be any clearer than that. Hearing is prerequisite. So the only way to be one of the sheep is to first hear the voice of the shepherd, to hear the gospel, to listen to the truth of the Bible and believe it. And so question number one this morning is simply that. Have you heard the voice of the shepherd? Have you heard? Have you heard? Paul commended the Colossian Christians. He said, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of of God in truth. They had first heard 
the truth of the gospel. And he commended them for that. And so have you heard it? The truth of the gospel. He told the Thessalonian Christians, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. They heard it, they believed it, and they were saved. Have you heard the truth of the gospel? Have you heard the voice of the shepherd? That's the first word. The second word is known. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. His sheep hear, his sheep are known. And again, Jesus mentioned this word a couple of times in this passage. For example, in verse number 14, he said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Jesus knows his sheep. Does Jesus know you? Of course, in one sense, Jesus knows all of us. Jesus knows everybody because he is the sovereign God who created you. So saved or lost, in that sense, he knows you. But that's not what's being described here. What's being described here is a different kind of knowing. It speaks of relationship. It speaks of intimacy, friendship, if you will. I love what he said to his disciples in John chapter 15. He said, no longer do I call you servants. I have called you friends. That's what he's talking about here. A relationship with him. And it's a reminder to us that an amazing transformation occurs when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl trusts Jesus Christ. They become one of his sheep. It's more than just a business arrangement. It's more than just a mental agreement with a set of principles. It is adoption into a family. It is relationship. He knows you in a wonderfully close way. He knows his sheep. Verse 3 says he even knows them by name. Think about that for a minute. He knows them by name. If you're one of his, he knows you by name. One of these days you're going to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. What will that be like? I can't imagine what that will be like. Uh, Kathy and I were just driving home yesterday from our vacation, and as we were driving along uh, in our slingshot, we had the radio playing, and, and uh, there was uh, that gospel song I can only imagine that came and blasted over the airwaves. Will I stand in his presence, or will it, at his feet will I bow? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I don't know. I can only imagine. But one thing I know is he's going to know my name, and he's going to call me by name. And that's an astonishing thought to me. How many of you have ever read the, the, the series of books uh, called Left Behind? Anybody ever managed to get through that entire bookshelf of books? I foolishly started reading it one time and then got myself sucked into it and couldn't stop. I can't remember how long it took me. And there was the glorious day that I got to the glorious last book, which is called The Glorious Appearing. And there is a scene in that book, there's a section in that book, where the hero of the story finally meets Jesus face to face. And one of the most powerful parts of that story for me was when Jesus looked at him and called him by name. He knew his name. And that might seem like a small thing, but it's not. It shows us that he knows us. Joel Cochran is the pastor of the chapel in Marlboro. He's been the pastor there for a million years, I think. When we used to live out of the area, when I was attending Bible college and things like that, we used to come home to visit family and things, and we would visit around various churches. One day we, we stepped into the chapel in Marlboro, and he met me at the door, shook my hand, and I introduced myself. My name's Bill Johnson, and uh, nice to be here. And he said, nice to have you here, and that was it. I went to the service, and months later, months, maybe even more than a year later, I walked in that door again, and there he stood, and his eyes lit up, and he said, Bill, how nice to see you. I hated that about him because I can't remember anybody's name. 
but he remembers everybody's. Oh, listen, Jesus knows his sheep by name. They are not a number to him. It is personal. It is, a, it is intimate. It is a relationship. If you are one of his, he knows you. I heard the Savior's voice. I heard the gospel when I was 12. Right here in this church, I believed it. I received Christ as my Savior. And from that moment on, I have had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He knows me. I know him. And so I ask you this morning, do you have that personal relationship with him? Does he know you in that way? Well, third word, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. His sheep follow. And finally, that's, that's the word that I really wanted to concentrate on this morning, and so we'll finish with it. They follow me. Before I get into any kind of a definition or we start talking about the, uh, the implications of that word to us as Christians, let, let, me, let, me just, uh, let me just ask you to look very carefully at that verse. If your Bible's open, look at it. Look at verse number 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And as you're looking at it, I want you to ask yourself a question of the text. Ask yourself this. Is it possible to be a Christian? If those three things are not present in your life, is it possible to be a Christian if those three things are not present in your life? For example, can one be a Christian without hearing? We've already suggested the answer to that is no. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Is it possible to, uh, to be a Christian without Christ knowing him or her in a personal relationship? And, 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 of course, we've already suggested the answer to that is no. So how about that third word? Is it possible to be a Christian if you are not following Jesus? And I would suggest to you this morning that it is not possible. All three of those words describe a reality of the Christian life. The Christian hears, the Christian is known, the Christian has a relationship with Christ, and the Christian follows there is nothing in that sentence that, that Jesus spoke there uh, that would allow for wishful thinking here. There's, there's nothing there that would admit a non-follower to the fold. If one of these three words are descriptive, then all three words are descriptive. They, they, they say what we are to be. And so then the obvious and pregnant question that hangs over the room is this one. Are you following? Are you following? Perhaps some definition will help. Let's, let's think about some definitions of the word. There, uh, there are several Greek words in our, in our New Testament that are translated into the English word follow. And if you're a new believer and, and, and are not familiar with what I'm saying by that, realize that the Bible was not written in English. The Bible that we hold in our hand is a translation, an English translation of the original texts. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, the New Testament primarily in Greek. And so everything we have here is a translation from those. We go back to the Greek to see exactly what Jesus was saying. The word used here and translated follow is the most common Greek word that's translated that way in our, in our New Testament. It's the word akalutheo, which means to be a follower or a companion. It is a combination of two words. One expressing union or likeness and the other expressing a way. So it might be translated as going in the same way. It's used 77 times in the gospel. Every time except one, it is used of following Christ. Going in the same way with Christ. Being a disciple of Christ. 
So are you following him in that way? Are you going in the same way with Christ? I wasn't real satisfied with that definition, so I looked up the word follow, the English word follow, in Webster's. And I have to tell you, I was astonished. There was like multiple pages of definition for the word follow. Here's this this big little word that we're looking at, and I'm thinking it's just a very simple thing. And he had all of these different definitions. So let me share some of them with you, just a few, and see if this helps. According to Webster, the word follow means to go, to proceed, or to come after, as in they followed the guide. That makes sense, right? It means to engage in as a calling or way of life. It means to pursue, as in wheat growing is generally followed here. It means to walk or proceed along, as in to follow a path. That sounds very much like the Greek definition we just saw. It means to be or act in accordance with, as in to follow directions. It means to accept as authority, to obey, as in he followed his conscience. It means to seek to attain, as in following after knowledge. It means to copy after, to imitate, as in the new building follows the facades and roof lines of the original buildings. It means to watch steadily, as in he followed the flight of the ball. And I have to pause there for a moment to remind everybody that we do have Pastor's Master's Golf starting next week. And I, I cannot help but when I read that and I think about that, following the flight of the ball, I'm always amazed. Anybody ever watch golf on television? Is it not astonishing that the cameraman can follow that little golf ball perfectly, keep it absolutely dead center in the camera the whole way? I can't follow the ball when I hit it myself. I can't see where it went. To watch steadily as in he followed the flight of the ball. To keep the mind on. For example, to follow a speech. Another meaning is to attend closely to, to keep abreast of, such as he followed his career with interest. And finally, means to understand the sense or logic of something, such as a line of thought. For example, I don't quite follow your thinking, which is what all of you are saying right now. I don't quite follow your thinking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now think about all those things. That means they come after him in his path. They pursue a way of life that is his. They act in accordance with him. They accept him as authority and obey him. They seek to gain him. They copy and imitate him. They watch him steadily. They keep their mind on him. They stick close to him. And they increasingly grasp who he is and what he wants from them. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Is that you? Are you following are you following? Matthew Henry wrote, they follow him. They submit to his guidance by a willing obedience to all his commands and a cheerful conformity to his spirit and pattern. The word of command has always been, follow me. We must eye him as our leader and captain and tread in his steps and walk as he walked. Follow the prescriptions of his word, the intimations of his providence and the directions of his spirit. Follow the lamb whithersoever he goes. In vain do we hear his voice if we do not follow over and over we read, following Jesus is what it's all about. When Jesus first called his disciples, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. As Jesus passed on from there, he met a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they 
follow me. Now, Jesus never indicated that following would be easy. Actually, he said it's the opposite. He said it required genuine commitment. A certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. He told his disciples that this commitment required in following him was a life or death choice. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke's gospel, in quoting those, those words of Jesus, adds an interesting little thing. Luke goes on and says that the commitment is an everyday affair. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he never said following him would be easy. Actually, just the opposite. But he also promised great reward to those who follow. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Are you following Jesus? What is your level of commitment to him? Just this past week, I was checking emails, and I noticed that I had received an email from our missionary partners in Africa, John and Elise Stavropoulos. Never quite sure I'm saying their name properly. Every time I see a communication from them or hear from John in any way, I always think of the very first time we met John. It was many years ago. He's one of the very first missionaries that we took on here at, at uh, wherever we are here. Where is this? Friendship Bible Church. John was just a young guy then. As a matter of fact, he stayed in, in Beth in my home at the time. And uh, I remember him preaching here. He's from South Africa, and he has a very strange accent. I've never been able to quite figure out his accent. But I remember him standing here preaching, great sermon. And then he opened it up for questions, which is something I always like for a missionary to do. And one of you asks, or, or somebody who was here at the time asked, how long, John, is your commitment to Africa? And with Without hesitation, instantly he fired back, my commitment is for life. For life. You see, that's what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. That's what it means to follow in his path, to pursue his way of life, acting in accordance with him, accepting him as authority and obeying him, seeking to gain him, copying and imitating him, watching him steadily, keeping the mind on him, sticking close to him, increasingly grasping who he is and what he wants. It's a commitment of all of that daily, no matter what, and for life. Jesus made that last point quite clear to Peter. You remember that Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ right before the crucifixion. Denied him three times. And then after that, after Jesus had been crucified and then rose from the dead, he had a little meeting with Peter on the seashore. I, I, I tend to think that almost every chapter in the Bible is my favorite chapter, so I, I know you're going to snicker when I say this, but I think John chapter 21, where this is described, is my favorite chapter of the Bible. It's an amazing story. Jesus set Peter down and said, Peter, do you love me? He said it three times, corresponding to the three times that Peter had denied him. And three times Peter answered, yes, Lord, I love you. 
Yes, Lord, you know I, I love you. And, of course, Jesus, in all of that process, was restoring Peter, and Peter was then restored to his position of leadership amongst the group, and he was told to go on and feed his sheep and, and fulfill his ministry. But then Jesus told him that there would come a time that his commitment would have to go all the way to the end and that he would die for the cause of Christ. And the last bit of the story is interesting. Let me just read the last couple of verses. Jesus, This Jesus spoke, signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will, that he remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. It matters not what others do, Peter. You follow me. It matters not what price others pay. You follow me. Follow me daily. Follow me no matter what. Follow me for life. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Now, we need to be very clear about something. I want to make sure that, I, that, I, that I'm not confusing anybody. I hope you can see this in the text for yourself. Jesus was not saying that following is a prerequisite to being one of his. He was not saying that if we follow, we will be saved. If we follow, he will know us in a personal way. If we follow, we will be sheep in his flock. That was not what he was saying. What he was saying was following as a result of being a member of that flock. We do not follow in order to be saved. We follow because we are saved. It is a natural result of being his. It is, we might say, evidence that we are his. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Who are his sheep? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How do I know if I'm one of his sheep? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but this verse leads me to want to examine myself, to examine my relationship with the Lord. I know I've heard the gospel and believed it with all my heart. I rejoice in the relationship that I have with Christ. He knows me. He knows my name, and I praise God for it. But then there's that third word. That third word. Am I following? Am I following? I think back over all the nuances of meaning of that word. Are they true of me? Are they true of you? Churches in our age, just as in every age, have some who will have to answer yes to that, and some who, if honest, will have to answer no. Because their life hasn't changed. They live no different than the world. They don't order their days after him. They ignore what he says about sin in their life. They listen to the culture, to social media, to worldly sources of information, rather than to what Christ says. They live like the world, rather than like one who is following the Savior. And the solution, if you find yourself in that group, is really very simple. You need to hear the gospel and believe it. You need to enter into a personal relationship with Christ. You need to be born again. You can't work yourself up into following Christ. If you're one of his, you will do it naturally. It will flow out of the relationship you have with him. So the solution is not to follow more. The solution is to examine yourself, whether you be in the faith in the first place, whether you're actually saved. Because if that evidence of following is not there, 
it's probably evidence that you never were saved in the first place. You're not one of his sheep. Years ago, when my first wife Beth and I were living in Michigan, uh, an evangelist held a revival back here at our home church. It wasn't this church. We were attending another church uh, in Brimfield at the time. Uh, but I was off in Bible college, and so we had received reports of this wonderful revival that had taken place in our home church. And tremendous number of souls that had been saved, and it was such an exciting time. And Beth wanted to listen to this guy's preaching to see what it was all about because she had heard all these good reports. And so we managed to get the tapes, and we were driving somewhere one day, and uh, this guy was preaching. And uh, as we're driving along, I could hear her start to get all choked up in the seat next to me and sniffling and carrying on. And uh, finally she said, you need to pull the car over. I said, what? She said, you need to pull the car over. We need to pray. And we pulled the car over and we prayed right there by the side of the road. And she recommitted her life to Christ right there then. And I have always, ever after, appreciated the fact that she was willing to examine her faith. Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. It was around that same time that I was attending Bible college in Michigan. And everybody who attended that college had to attend chapel every day. Every day of the week you had to go to chapel. And you'd hear gospel preaching. And one day as this preacher was preaching, one of the other students who I had heard preach, who I had been out on soul-winning, door-to-door evangelism with, who I had known, I thought, very, very well, thought him a believer. The invitation came, and he was down at the front kneeling at that altar. And I asked him later, and he said, I'd never trusted Christ. I, I realized I personally I had preached Christ, but I'd never been saved myself. I'd never trusted Christ, and so he did. No one is immune from this need for self-examination. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith you're following. In the 19th century, there was a preacher by the name of William Haslam. William Haslam preached a sermon on Matthew 22:42. It was far from his first sermon. He'd preached over and over and over. He was the pastor of a very large church. Matthew 22:42. what think ye of Christ, was his text. And as he preached it, in the middle of his sermon, he realized he had never had a right thought of Christ. And he had never been saved. And he was converted by his own sermon in the middle of his own preaching. We need to examine ourselves. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Are you following Christ? Following Christ does not make one a Christian. But following Christ demonstrates one is a Christian. It is evidence. Is it there? Richard of Chichester prayed one day, Day by day, dear Lord, of thee, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for this little word, follow. And I pray today, Lord, that all of us would think about these things, examine our own hearts and lives, and ask ourselves this hard question, are we following? We like the first two words in that text. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Those are good. Don't seem to make much of a demand on us. But then you said they follow me. And there's a cost there. There's evidence there. There's things we can see there. We can look at our lives, Lord, and 
and see whether or not we're really following you, whether or not we are truly changed, whether or not our life is modeled after the one who's in whose path we follow. And so I pray today, Lord, that all of us would examine our hearts and lives. There may be some here today who have to, have to admit that, no, I'm not following as closely as I ought. Maybe today some need to recommit themselves to the Lord Jesus as, as uh, Beth did so long ago. Maybe some would look at this and say, I've never done that at all in the first place, and they just need to be saved. Maybe they've, they've never really responded to the gospel. Maybe they've heard it, but they've never believed it. They don't have that personal relationship with Christ. Father, if there are some like that, I pray this day that whatever the needs might be, whether it's salvation or recommitment or whatever, I pray that as the song is sung, as the invitation is given, that folks would step out and come to the front and pray and do those things. And, Lord, if there's other needs, folks just need to come and pray, whatever it might be. I pray, Father, as we wrap up our service with a song and with an invitation, the altar's open. It's a time for us to commit. It's a time for us to respond. Help us to do just that. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.